0: In the year leading up to the 2020 election, we're counting down the biggest scandals in American political history. This is number 14, The Keating Five.
1: John McCain didn't want to be here. Here being April 1987 in the office of fellow Arizona Senator Dennis DeConsini. Also in attendance were Senators Alan Cranston of California, John Glenn of Ohio, and Donald Regal of Michigan. They'd all convene to convince federal regulators that they should back off an investigation of one special constituent.
0: What American citizen can call himself constituent to no less than five senators from four different states? That would be millionaire businessman Charles Keating head of the American Continental Corporation, one of the Southwest's biggest employers.
1: Keating had spent good money in support of these five senators, more than $1.3 million in political contributions over the past few years. And like any man who wants what he paid for, when he asked them to intercede in a federal investigation, he expected them to act.
0: McCain tried to soft-sell the obvious purpose of the meeting, intimidation. His fellow senators were less tactful. They told regulators flat out to get off their backs.
1: That's when they were informed that this wasn't some minor regulatory issue. The board was referring criminal charges to the Department of Justice. The senior most regulator in the room emphasized, I can't tell you strongly enough how serious this is. The senators were stunned and the meeting ended abruptly.
0: Senator McCain resolved not to speak to Charles Keating again, not if he could help it, but the damage was done. He and the others would forever be tarred with the label, the Keating Five, and their reputations and careers were at stake.
1: Welcome to Political Scandals, a ParCast Original. I'm Richard. And I'm Kate. You can find all episodes of Political Scandals and all other ParCast Originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Political Scandals for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Political Scandals in the search bar.
0: Today, we're talking about a group remembered as the Keating Five. When Lincoln Savings and Loan collapsed in 1989, it cost taxpayers more than $3 billion, a staggering loss enabled by five U.S. senators.
1: We'll dive into the corruption right after this. This episode is brought to you by
2: Amazon Prime.
1: New season out on Spotify soon. Greed is good, declared Gordon Gekko in the 1987 film Wall Street. The line was intended to showcase the character's villainy. Instead, many took it as a call to action in a decade when everything was big. Hair, shoulder pads, expense accounts, ambition, and appetites for more.
0: Everyone wanted in, whether they could afford it or not. Consumer debt tripled in the 1980s, reaching $3.7 trillion. The Dow Jones Industrial Average more than tripled between 1982 and 1987. Giving America's financial industry a leg up was a healthy dose of Reagan-era deregulation. In
1: 1980 and again in 1982, Congress and regulators loosened restrictions on the savings and loan industry, or thrift banks. In turn, S&Ls were able to turn their attention away from their traditional focus, low-return home mortgages, and expand lending into riskier investments with higher returns. Things like real estate development and high-yield junk bonds.
0: Junk bonds, meaning debt securities rated below investment grade, They carried a high risk of default, but promised high returns if they didn't.
1: That whiff of high returns attracted Gordon gecko types the same way blood in the water lures sharks, Charles Keating amongst them.
0: Charles Keating was the physical embodiment of mid 20th century America. Gregarious and tough, with no obstacle he couldn't overcome. He was an imposing figure at 6'5", an all-American swimmer at the University of Cincinnati, and Navy pilot in World War II.
1: And just as America isn't always what it seems, a closer look at Charles Keating revealed some hard truths. He'd left the university after one semester because of poor grades. During the war, he was stationed in the U.S. and never deployed in combat. He did, however, wreck a plane when he forgot to lower the landing gear. Luckily for him, he escaped serious injury.
0: Keating had a knack for walking away from disasters of his own making unscathed, at least for a while.
1: After the war, Keating returned to the University of Cincinnati, earning a law degree in 1948. He founded a law firm with his brother and soon represented the business interests of Carl Lindner Jr. Lindner owned ice cream stores, groceries, real estate, and savings and loans. And through him, Keating learned the business of acquisitions.
0: In 1960, Lindner and Keating created American Financial Corporation, a holding company for subsidiaries of Lindner's businesses.
1: Then in 1966... American Financial acquired Provident Bank.
0: Even before deregulation, banks were good business. But Keating knew from the beginning that they could be even better. In a 1989 interview, he said, I always felt that an SNL, if they relaxed the rules, was the biggest moneymaker in the world.
1: And if they didn't relax the rules, well, rules were made for other men, not Charles Keating."
0: By 1972, having helped grow the company into a financial powerhouse, Keating left his law practice to become the full-time executive vice president of American Financial. But despite all his apparent success, Keating's fortunes were built on a shaky foundation. Between 1975 and 76, Several unhappy stockholders filed lawsuits against American Financial alleging financial malfeasance, specifically that loans were being made to insiders on preferential terms without proper collateral.
1: The Security and Exchange Commission launched an investigation, and Keating was charged with using Provident to make $14 million in insider loans. With the case ongoing, Keating resigned from American Financial Company in 1976 and relocated to Phoenix, Arizona, where he'd meet the first of the men who'd come to be known as the Keating Five. 1976 was Dennis DeConcini's first of three terms in the United States Senate. The key to his success was the financial support of Phoenix area businessmen and wealthy donors.
0: Charles Keating did not appear poised to be one of those businessmen at the time of his move. When he left American Financial, the best part of his settlement was that he took ownership of Phoenix-based American Continental Homes. But the real estate development subsidiary was no prize. It was losing millions. Fortunately for Keating, what began as a desert exile instead landed him at ground zero of the Sun Belt boom.
1: In the previous decade, Phoenix's population had grown by a third, and then a third again in the 1970s to become the country's ninth largest city. It would grow another 25% in the 80s until by 1990, nearly one million people would make Phoenix home.
0: And Charles Keating would be the man to build many of those homes. He turned American Continental from a money-losing venture into a leading developer of single-family housing. With that success came political influence.
1: Keating started by donating to Senator Dennis DeConcini's 1976 campaign. Then in 1979, Keating took on the role of Southwest Fundraising Chief to John Connolly's bid for the Republican presidential nomination. Connolly raised more money than any other candidate, crisscrossing the country in a chartered Learjet. Keating was soon elevated to Chief Campaign Administrative Officer.
0: Of a failing campaign, Connolly's biggest claim to fame was spending more money than any other candidate, $11 million. That $11 million bought exactly one delegate before Connolly called it quits.
1: But Keating was hooked on the power and the influence he could wield in politics. He just had to get the SEC off his back about the American financial scandal. Then he could really dive in.
0: That finally happened in 1979. Keating settled with the SEC both he and Lindner reimbursed $1.4 million to American Financial. Keating admitted no wrongdoing and accepted a permanent injunction against future violations. In short, he agreed not to commit further financial crimes.
1: Just two years later, as planned, Keating was making his way into the heart of conservative politics.
2: I, Ronald Reagan, do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States.
1: Newly elected President Ronald Reagan considered him for a position as ambassador to the Bahamas. Senator DeConcini, to whom Keating had made generous campaign contributions, wrote a letter supporting that appointment.
0: Unfortunately, two years hadn't been quite enough to quiet the rumblings about Keating's SEC violations, and ultimately, they ended the matter. But that certainly didn't pull Keating out of the -the behind-the-scenes circuit of big donors.
1: Keating met the next of the Keating Five later that year. John McCain, a little over five years removed from his captivity as a Vietnam POW, relocated to Phoenix in 1981. Recently remarried, he went to work for his new father-in-law's Anheuser-Busch beer distributor as vice president of public relations. This put him in touch with the local business community, including Keating.
0: Keating and McCain hit it off. Both were former military pilots and shared similar conservative politics. When McCain set his sights on a congressional seat in 1982, Keating saw an opportunity to ingratiate himself with the rising political star. He hosted a fundraiser, collecting more than $11,000 from employees of American Continental.
1: Between 1982 and 1987, McCain would receive $112,000 in political contributions from Keating and his associates and took several vacations paid for by Keating.
0: It was later reported by the Arizona Republic that John McCain and his wife, sometimes accompanied by their daughter, had made at least nine trips for both business and pleasure at Keating's expense. At least three of those trips were to vacation at Keating's Bahamas retreat.
1: Keating's vacation home in Cat Key, Bahamas was just one of the luxuries he had to share. He also owned multi-million dollar homes in Phoenix and Florida and an apartment in Monte Carlo. And he traveled between them in style, spending nearly $36 million on three private jets and a helicopter. He could afford it. Business for American Continental continued to boom in Arizona, but opportunities beckoned further west. In the wake of the Reagan-era deregulation enacted in 1982, California had adopted guidelines for S&Ls that were much more lax than other states.
0: That is, those relaxed rules Keating said would make an s and the biggest moneymaker in the world.
1: So Keating set his sights on California's Lincoln Savings and Loan Association, the financial institution that would become the center of the Keating Five scandal.
0: Coming up, Charles Keating pursues Lincoln Savings with the help of another icon of 80s greed, Michael Milken.
2: This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime
1: By 1985, Charles Keating had parlayed his go-getters hustle and a dubious ethical compass into a multi-million dollar banking and real estate empire. His timing was also fortunate, coinciding with the Sunbelt boom and federal deregulation of the savings and loan industry.
0: Keating shared that good fortune with Arizona's prominent political figures. His financial support helped re-elect Democratic Senator Dennis DeConcini in 1982. That same year, Keating was also instrumental in electing Republican John McCain to his first term in the U.S. House of Representatives.
1: These would be the first two members of the Keating Five. Keating's expansion into California banking would introduce him to a third, Senator Alan Cranston.
0: Alan Cranston was first elected to the U.S. Senate in 1968 and had recently been re-elected to his third term. He was a senior member of the powerful Senate Banking and Currency Committee and a longtime ally of California's s and industry. In 1980, he'd shown that allyship by making sure federal deposit insurance was raised from its then-current ceiling of $40,000 to $100,000.
1: By raising insurance, he helped pave a smooth path for deregulation. Consumers knew their money was safe, whatever their banks did. So what did it matter if those banks got a little fast and loose with risky loans?
0: For Senator Cranston, it was a win-win. He was ensuring voters in his state were protected and cementing his claim on the support of California's banks in future elections. By
1: 1984, Keating had his eye on an alliance with a friendly senator like Cranston and a place in the appealing California banking industry Cranston had fostered. The obvious solution was buying a California-based bank.
0: Founded in 1925 in Los Angeles, the Lincoln Savings and Loan Association was a staid firm with the majority of its business in home loans and only a quarter of its investments considered risky. It had only recently become profitable after several years of losses, mostly thanks to deregulation.
1: But despite its unimposing appearance, Keating went after Lincoln hard. And at a time when Lincoln's stock was trading at $8 a share, he made an initial anonymous offer of twice that sum. Still... Lincoln owner Don Crocker refused, professing no interest in selling.
0: So Keating set about wooing Crocker. He convinced him to meet personally in Phoenix at the American Continental office. Then, with pleasantries barely out of the way, Keating offered between 40 and $50 million for Lincoln.
1: That would be $20 a share, 25% more than his offer of just days ago,
0: But Keating had no doubt he'd be able to finance the deal. He just raised several tens of millions in cash via junk bond king Michael Milken, a real-life Gordon Gecko. He was certain he could raise another $50 million in the same manner.
1: Of course, Keating didn't know that the Security and Exchange Commission had been watching Milken since 1979, aware of unethical and perhaps illegal trading activities.
0: Nor did Crocker. But Crocker was concerned about the SEC. Specifically, would Keating's SEC problem of just a few years ago prevent regulatory approval of the acquisition?
1: If Keating felt stung by the mention of his past financial malfeasance, he didn't show it. He waived off his settlement as a way to avoid legal fees in a drawn-out proceeding, nothing more.
0: Confident in his ability to close the deal, Keating showed Crocker around his offices, introducing him to several of his staff. When Crocker asked how personnel would work, Keating talked about the family and how anyone at Lincoln who wanted to stay on would become a part of that family. He promised little would change, that he'd continue to run it as a traditional S&L focused on home lending. It was too good an offer to refuse. Crocker
1: agreed to a deal worth $51 million. By February 1984, the Lincoln Board approved the sale, and so did California regulators, without bringing up Keating's old SEC violation.
0: You can probably guess what happened next. Keating fired all of Lincoln's top executives— He named his son, a 28-year-old college dropout president, at a salary of $1 million. And home lending stopped nearly entirely. In 1985 and into 1986, Lincoln would make only 11 home loans, four to employees. Instead, Lincoln purchased nearly $3 billion in high-risk junk bonds, most of it from Michael Milken.
1: It was also around this time that Keating formed a relationship with the fourth of the Keating Five, John Glenn, a two term senator from Ohio. Glenn also happened to be a former Marine captain, fighter pilot during the Korean conflict, first American to orbit the Earth, and a two time presidential candidate.
0: Glenn represented Ohio, where Keating was born and raised, and where one of his business ventures was headquartered. In other words, He was one more senator of whom Keating could consider himself a constituent. Keating contributed $34,000 directly to Glenn's 1984 campaign for the presidency and an additional $200,000 to a Glenn political action committee.
1: Meanwhile, Lincoln continued its buying spree of aggressive investments. The 1985 purchase of Detroit's Hotel Pontchartrain put Keating among the constituents of yet another senator from a fourth state. The last of the Keating Five, Michigan Senator Don Regal, would benefit from Keating contributions of $76,000 for his 1988 reelection.
0: Keating subsequently bought the Hotel Pontchartrain for himself, financed by $38 million in dubious loans from Lincoln.
1: With Keating at the helm, the bulk of Lincoln's investments were in undeveloped land, real estate development, hotels, even a casino, and junk bonds. All high risk speculation that would have been nearly impossible before the deregulation of the early 1980s.
0: But all the risk was paying off. Between 1985 and 1989, Keating would grow Lincoln from a company with about $1 billion in assets to one that showed nearly $6 billion on its books. Parent company American Continental's stock rose 900% in a five-year period.
1: He rewarded himself with $19.4 million in salary, stock purchases, and other compensation over five years while the company picked up the tab for his $5 million Florida estate. At its height, Lincoln's parent company, American Continental, was one of Arizona's largest employers.
0: Lincoln wasn't the only SNL spending fast and riding high. Across the country, many thrift banks were exploiting the same loose regulation to record profits. By 1985, overall SNL assets had grown by over 50%. It was a dizzying height from which to fall. But fall, they did.
1: Speculation had led SNLs to overextend themselves in risky investments in real estate and junk bonds. As bankruptcies began to pile up, regulators attempted to intercede. Edward Gray, chairman of the Federal Home Loan Bank Board, or FHLBB, proposed a number of reforms and regulations.
0: One of these was a retroactive prohibition against savings associations holding more than 10% of their assets in direct investments, essentially taking ownership positions on real estate and other investments. With the stroke of Gray's pen, Lincoln was out of compliance.
1: With billions of dollars tied up in long-term projects, Keating faced enormous losses if forced to liquidate those projects. He was concerned enough to attempt to hire Gray out of his bank board position in December of 1985. Gray refused the offer and reported Keating to the Justice Department. In
0: 1986, barely a year after Keating's purchase of Lincoln, the FHLBB began an audit of Lincoln. The bank board was concerned about its fast growth and risky investments and wanted a closer look at Keating's books.
1: Keating feared the increased scrutiny of government regulators for good reason. He wasn't just investing in risky projects, but engaged in a variety of fraudulent activities. Among them was a scheme to declare false profits by selling property he owned to small investors who would borrow the entire inflated purchase price from Keating.
0: Keating met with board regulators in July, a meeting that, according to Kathleen Day, author of SNL Hell, deteriorated into a shouting match, with each side accusing the other of bad faith. A story in the Washington Post included charges by Keating's lawyer of a vendetta against his client by bank board chairman Gray.
1: An aggrieved businessman finding himself unjustly targeted by a government bureaucracy might contact his senator for help. The luckiest constituent among us might have two senators he could call upon. Keating had five.
0: And he wasn't done spending. In March of 1987, he contributed $100,000 to a voter registration organization overseen by Senator Cranston.
1: Three weeks later, Keating raised more than $30,000 for Michigan Senator Regal at a fundraiser held at his Detroit hotel.
0: That same month, Regal met with board chairman Gray on an unrelated matter. When the meeting ended, Regal pulled Gray aside for a private conversation in which he professed the collective displeasure of several senators over the board's audit of Lincoln. He asked for a meeting, but Gray demurred. On April 2nd, Gray was surprised to find the meeting on his books anyway. It would be held in Senator DeConcini's office, with other senators present. He was instructed to attend alone without his aides.
1: Come alone and tell no one is the stuff of dirty backroom politics and the meeting would deliver on that ominous promise. It would prove an historic mistake for the Keating Five.
0: Coming up, the Keating Five earn their notoriety with a shakedown gone awry. Now back to the story.
1: As owner of Lincoln Savings and Loan, Charles Keating was at the center of America's explosive S&L industry boom. To ensure his continued success without regulatory interference, Keating spread significant sums of money around Washington. That largesse included more than $1.3 million to five senators from four states. When regulators came calling, so too did Keating to call in his chits.
0: On April 2, 1987, bank board chairman Edward Gray met senators Dennis DeConcini, John McCain, Alan Cranston, and John Glenn in DeConcini's office. Gray, as instructed, attended alone. So did the senators. It was highly unusual for no senatorial aides to accompany their bosses either to take notes or to provide information during the meeting.
1: Deconcini began the meeting with a reference to our friend Ed Lincoln. Gray assured the senators that his concern was the big picture of the SNL industry and that he had no specific information about Lincoln. Only the regulators at the San Francisco branch would.
0: Gray was being shrewd. Recapitalizing the federal bank board required congressional approval and he desperately needed the support of senators like Regal and Cranston, both on the Senate Banking Committee. So he promised to set another meeting for one week later, with regulators flying in from San Francisco.
1: That's not to say Gray wasn't cautious. Upon returning to his office, he debriefed his staff on his meeting with the senators. That debrief would eventually become evidence that the meeting was inappropriate at an attempt at intimidation.
0: Yet Gray took no official action. He arranged the second meeting with San Francisco regulators and failed to put himself on the list of attendees. He'd have no further contact with the senators regarding Lincoln.
1: Before the second meeting, Keating sent his chief counsel and right-hand man, James Grogan, to Washington. Grogan met with all five senators to emphasize how important this meeting was. He reiterated Keating's position. Lincoln was being unfairly targeted. The bank board's treatment was unduly harsh. And Keating was being harassed
0: by Gray. Then the senators marched to the meeting.
1: In attendance were Michael Patriarca, director of agency functions at the Federal Savings and Loan Insurance Corporation, or FSLIC, James Serona, president of the Federal Home Loan Bank of San Francisco, and William Black, then deputy director of the FSLIC. Black took copious, nearly verbatim notes of the meeting.
0: In an interview with the Arizona Republic, Black would later describe the meeting as a demonstration of political force by Keating. Wary
1: of how his fellow senator from Arizona had started the previous meeting, McCain opened carefully, according to Black's notes, explaining their role as elected officials was to help constituents in a proper fashion. I don't want any part of our conversation to be improper.
0: Glenn was less tactful, saying... You should charge Lincoln or get off their backs. DeConsini chimed in to ask rhetorically, What's wrong with this if they're willing to clean up their act?
1: The regulators from San Francisco made their discomfort known. They told the senators how unusual it was to discuss a particular company. De DeConsini countered, It's very unusual for us to have a company that could be put out of business by its regulators.
0: De Consini didn't know how right he was. The regulators had information that the senators did not. And whether they went into the meeting intending to share it or not, Serona dropped the bombshell. Lincoln wasn't simply overextended. It was in real trouble. A ticking time bomb, according to Black's notes.
1: It got worse from there. Patriarca told the room that they were forwarding a criminal referral to the Department of Justice involving a whole range of imprudent actions. I can't tell you strongly enough how serious this is.
0: The senators were stunned. They were willing to exert their influence over a regulatory matter, but a Justice Department investigation into possible criminal activity was something else entirely. The meeting ended abruptly with a warning. The senators were not to breathe a word of the criminal referral to Keating.
1: Regardless of whether that warning was followed, the investigation barreled on.
0: In May of 1987, the San Francisco regulators completed their year-long audit into Lincoln Savings and Loan. Among their findings were underwriting deficiencies, inflated appraisals, false profits— improperly capitalized interest, and more than half a billion dollars in direct investments, well over the 10% limit Gray had enacted back in 1985. Lincoln also had $135 million in unreported losses. The report recommended that its assets be seized. And yet, they weren't. In June, Ed Gray retired from the bank board. Three months later, the investigation was pulled from the San Francisco office, and in May of 1988, it was transferred to Washington.
1: For whatever reason, the influence of the senators, regime change at the FHLBB, or political expediency, the regulators backed off. The consequences would prove disastrous.
0: On October 19th, 1987, What would come to be known as Black Monday, the stock market crashed. The Dow lost 23% of its value, and real estate values started to decline. Overextended and financed on the shaky foundation of junk bonds and bad land deals, Lincoln struggled to survive at any cost.
1: Desperate for cash flow, Lincoln's managers at all 29 branches were instructed to move customers from their federally insured certificates of deposit into higher-yielding bonds in American Continental. Because American Continental was essentially insolvent at the time, these were the junkiest of junk bonds, uninsured against failure by the FDIC.
0: Lincoln sold $200 million worth of these bonds to its customers, many of whom were elderly retirees. Some later testified in a civil trial that they were told that the bonds were federally insured. A lie. As thrifts failed across the country, branch managers continued to tell customers that their investments were absolutely safe, right up until Lincoln's seizure.
1: On April 13, 1989, two years after the meeting between regulators and the Keating Five, American Continental declared bankruptcy. One day later, Lincoln was seized by the FHLBB with the federal government on the hook for $3.4 billion to cover Lincoln's losses.
0: On top of that... Nearly 23,000 customers were left with worthless and uninsured bonds in the bankrupt American Continental. Many of them lost their life savings.
1: Since Lincoln only started transitioning customers to American Continental bonds after regulators had failed to act on their already shady behavior a solid argument could be made that the intervention of the Keating Five was responsible for every penny of that loss. The delay had also allowed Lincoln to run up an additional $2 billion in losses at taxpayer expense.
0: Not one to accept defeat, blame, or responsibility with good grace, Keating called a press conference where he decried the government vendetta against him. He railed at bureaucrats who, in seizing Lincoln's assets, were costing hundreds of billions of dollars that could otherwise be directed towards the poor of the world. But he wasn't finished. On the
1: subject of the Keating Five, he made this arrogant pronouncement. One recent question among many raised in recent weeks had to do with whether my financial support in any way influenced several political figures to take up my cause. I want to say in the most forceful way I can, I certainly hope so. In the aftermath of Lincoln's failure, lawsuits and countersuits flew. Keating sued alleging illegal seizure. In return, the government filed a $1.1 billion civil lawsuit against Keating and several family members for fraud and racketeering. Many of the 23,000 defrauded investors of American continental junk bonds also filed a suit against Keating.
0: Just one month after Lincoln's seizure, former Bank Board Chair Gray went public about the five senators' interference on behalf of Keating. In a Dayton Daily News article, he declared that the Senators had sought to directly subvert the regulatory process. Throughout the summer, other local papers picked up the story. The Los Angeles Times reported on Cranston's role, while the Arizona Republic investigated McCain's personal relationship with Keating.
1: By October 1989, the Wall Street Journal had coined the term the Keating Five, By November, the New York Times was detailing the senator's involvement. In the spring of 1990, decks of playing cards were being sold, featuring Keating holding up his hand with images of the five senators as puppets on his fingers. The Keating Five were
0: officially notorious. In
1: 1990, the Senate Ethics Committee convened to investigate their role in the Lincoln Bank scandal.
0: At this point, it was common knowledge that Keating had contributed more than $1.3 million to the five senators before calling upon them to intervene against federal regulators. To a person, the senators denied improper conduct, claiming they had acted on behalf of Keating as a constituent, not a donor.
1: Perhaps imprudently, McCain claimed I have done this kind of thing many, many times. The Senate Ethics Committee investigation lasted 22 months, including seven weeks of public hearings. Broadcast live over C-SPAN, the hearings were, McCain would later write, a public humiliation.
0: But for the public, it was much more than that. The scandal gave everyday Americans a way to understand both the larger SNL crisis and political influence in microcosm, and in the process cemented the popular opinion that this is how the system works.
1: Perhaps because of that opinion, and despite staggering losses to be incurred by taxpayers, Few believed there would be any serious fallout for the Senators involved. They were right.
0: The most serious disciplinary action available was expulsion from the Senate, requiring a two-thirds vote. None of the Senators were expelled. The second most serious was censure, a formal statement of disapproval requiring only a majority. None of the Keating Five were censured.
1: When it was all over, only Cranston received a formal reprimand, a lesser level of senatorial disapproval. The committee ruled that he'd acted improperly in interfering with the investigation, and, perhaps because he'd benefited from nearly a million dollars in contributions from Keating, he had acted more aggressively on Keating's behalf than the others.
0: DeConsini and Regal were criticized for improperly interfering with the investigation, but neither was deemed to have broken any Senate rule. Glenn and McCain were noted for poor judgment, but cleared of any official impropriety.
1: Politically, the effects were only slightly more damaging. Cranston left office while both Deconcini and Regal chose not to run for re-election in 1994. But Glenn and McCain both ran and were re-elected easily. Glenn served until 1999, McCain continued to serve until his 2018 death from cancer.
0: But the Keating Five weren't forgotten. When McCain ran as the 2008 Republican nominee for president, the scandal was resurrected in a 13-minute documentary.
1: McCain would later call attending the two April 1987 meetings the worst mistake of my life. Keating, meanwhile, faced multiple charges in both state and federal courts. In 1991, he was convicted of fraud charges relating to the junk bond swindle of American continental bondholders and sentenced to the maximum 10 years in prison. In 1993, he was convicted of multiple federal charges and sentenced to a 12-year federal term running concurrently with his 10-year sentence.
0: But in the end, Keating served less than five years in prison. His state convictions were overturned in 1996, when a federal court judge ruled the trial judge had not properly instructed the jury. That same year, an appeals court dismissed Keating's federal securities charges, the judge declaring that jurors had improperly learned of his state convictions.
1: Keating agreed to a federal plea deal Admitting guilt to three counts of wire fraud and one count of bankruptcy fraud in exchange for time served without being subject to any fines or restitution.
0: In October of 1996, Keating walked free. He died in a Phoenix hospital in 2014 at age 90. But his impact lingered.
1: Nationwide, more than a thousand S&Ls failed in the late 1980s, fully one-third of savings and loans associations in the United States. Because the Federal Savings and Loan Insurance Corporation insured those deposits, the losses cost taxpayers $125 billion. Lincoln's losses of $3.4 billion were among the highest of any single s and And at the time... U.S. Representative Jim Leach of Iowa called it the biggest bank heist in history.
0: To the American public, Keating and his five senators became a symbol of political corruption, of the bought-and-paid-for politicians in the pockets of big-money interests that pervades to this day. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with number 13 on our countdown, presidential candidate John Edwards, a one-time Democratic frontrunner in the 2008 election. Unfounded rumors of an extramarital affair had dogged his campaign, and when the press discovered he may have fathered a baby girl, all bets were off.
1: You can find all episodes of Political Scandals and all other Parcast Originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite Parcast Originals for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker.
0: To stream Political Scandals on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Political Scandals in the search bar. We'll see you next time.
1: Political Scandals was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Jay Cohen, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Political Scandals was written by Ken Pisani, with writing assistance by Kate Gallagher and stars Kate Leonard and Richard Rossner.